Well, you guys ready to get in the word this morning? Man, I'll tell you, I, I just, uh, I want to encourage you, get to know God in your life um, because he is so good. And I know I'm speaking to the choir right now, but I'm here to tell you there is no, there is no end to the depth of intimacy that you can walk with the Lord. His desire is that you trust him. His desire is that you trust him because you know him. And he'll lead you into that. Amen? Well, we're talking about the believer's walk of faith. And uh, boy, I'm, I'm just kind of chomping at the bit to talk about the next prophetic event in our lives. And that's the rapture of the church. But I've got to get the rest of this out for what he wants. What he wants. And um, this, this series, although this is only... Um, this is only the third hour of it, the third teaching or the third message, however you want to look at that. Um, it's so critical that in these last days, or actually I should say the term correctly, the Bible calls it in the Hebrew language and the Greek language, really we're living in the end of days, right? And uh, so we're, we're living at the end of the church age and God wants you to experience all that he's provided for you and how you do that is you must receive through faith what he's given you by his grace. We've been talking along the lines of faith but along the lines of how it is a rest. And what I mean by rest is you cease from your own works. You come to a place in your life and every, every believer has to do this. You must come to a place in your life where you make a decision to completely Trust and depend on him and no one else. When you do that, it's like you enter a whole new realm of life where all things are possible. You know, in relation to uh, this time we're living in, really the next prophetic event that we will see and experience, actually we will experience it as the church, is the catching away or the rapture of the church. And that's, that's very, it's, it's very close very, very close. You know, it's amazing how almost 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote a letter to the Thessalonican church. Do you know it was the first letter he wrote out of all of his letters? He was in Thessalonica for three months. And what did he talk about? The rapture of the church. And he talked about it for this purpose. He's like, guys, I want this to not only comfort you, but I want this to accelerate you. We, you know, this is not time to just not put him first, right? We are living in an exciting season. I'm telling you for the church age, uh, you know, people will say, well, you know, if you look at the church, man, Jesus is not coming back right now. Well, you're not supposed to be looking at the church, I know that sounds crazy, but if you want to study the word of God along the lines of these prophetic events, the Bible says that we're to look at Jerusalem. We're, we're to look at what, what's going on there. You know, we have the honor, literally, in 1948, Israel became a nation for the second time. That's never happened in human history. And Isaiah prophesied it would happen and it, they would become a nation in one day. God would bring them back and supernaturally in one day. And you know, that, that's exactly the way it happened. Then it, the Bible talks about, you know, the time of the Gentiles, which means all the other nations. 
that Jerusalem would be trodden under until the time of the Gentiles is up and fulfilled. Well, that happened in 1967 in the Six-Day War, a supernatural event, and Israel took control. Uh, when they, in 1948, when they became a nation, they took control of part of Jerusalem, but it wasn't until 1967 that they took control of all of it. And at, when that happened, that was up. The, the time of the Gentiles was up. And now God is saying, listen, this generation that saw these two events won't pass from the earth before everything be fulfilled. So the, the thing in our future is the second coming, right? I get real excited about the first part of the second coming where Jesus doesn't come all the way to the earth. He meets us in the air and he evacuates the church. Then we go into that seven-year tribulation period, and then at the end of that period, and, and what is that tribulation period? God owes the Jews one more, one more week of years. Everything will revert back, his dealings. It's, it's like he's saying to the Jewish people, okay, the clock stopped on Daniel's 70-year vision when Jesus went into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and he pronounced himself as, he was pronounced as the Prince of Heaven. The Messiah. That stopped that clock at the 69 weeks of years. Well, God owes them one more week of years. When that stopped, when he came in, was crucified, rose from the dead, the church age started, everything was handed to us. Guess what? We're going to be evacuated out of here, and then they have one more week. That week is called Jacob's wrath. He hasn't appointed the church to wrath. We won't be here. That is not for us. It is literally, for, for 2,000 years, God's going, listen, I love you, I love you, I love you. I'm not accounting man's sins. You know, come to me, come to me. But in the tribulation period, now that whole thing is designed to, to literally, through the judgment of God, draw people to him. It's all for the purpose of drawing people to him. And you would not want to be here. You know, we've taught on the book of Revelation. would encourage you to get online and, and listen to that. It's a short series. It's only about 28 weeks long. And, uh, but it'll, it'll, it'll help you a lot. But we're living in these times. And because of that, guys, God wants you to be at rest. You know, we're going into a season. The next two months, we know what it's going to be like, a political year, right? Things kind of get crazy and all this stuff. God wants you at peace, right? We have authority in the earth, and while we're here, we're going to pray that righteousness abound, right? Satan can't have our country. He, you know, we're going to bear all of our fruit. We're going to be the church while we're here. But I'm telling you, no matter what economies do, it doesn't matter what if there's famine, if there's pestilence. Well, I shouldn't say if, there will be, because God said that would be during this time. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars, but we still are in the kingdom. And know this, that God's your provider, right? He's not only your provider, he's your protector. He's your healer. All of these things, you are safe in him. Amen? Amen? So that, the world needs to know that because the anxiety, the depression, mental health is, 
at an all-time low in the world, people are hurting, right? And we have their answer. Amen. Amen. So let's talk about it a little bit. Go to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 is kind of a foundational scripture of this series. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through verse 30. Jesus said this. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor. That means all of you who are toiling and who are heavy laden. That, that, that phrase in the Greek means all of you who are overburdened. Have you noticed in life how easy it is to get overburdened? And I will give you rest. Jesus says, come to me during this time because I have a quiet ceasing that will refresh you. I'll give you rest. How do I do that, Jesus? I have to take his yoke upon me. His yoke is his doctrine. It is his word. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek, humble, and lowly of heart, or lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. And again, he says this, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right? We said this, we've said this every service, God's word is a seed that will keep you at rest. The word of God, as you allow the word to be planted into your heart, and how do you allow it to be planted with your mouth? You meditate in the word day and night. You speak it. Guys, this is the area that we, our group, is missing it. We're not speaking the word enough, right? The prescription for the word is given to you Right there in Proverbs 4, 20 through 22, and it says, number one, you have to put the word first place. You have to give it your undivided attention. You have to never let it depart from your eyes. You're always looking at life through the lens of the word. Joshua chapter one, when he was going into the promised land, God told him, don't ever let the word depart out of your mouth. That's how we walk. That's, that's the believer's walk of faith. That will bring you into rest if you'll do it. We learn this from Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 6. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's not hard to please him. It's impossible to please. In other words, you cannot please God apart from faith. So if you want to know if you're pleasing to God... You just have to look at your life. Am I believing the word in my heart and is it coming out of my mouth? Am I walking and living by faith? Because that pleases him. Why? Because God says, he who comes to me must believe that I am. Right? So I'm talking like I'm God, which I'm not, obviously. But I am his kid, right? No, it says he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is what? That he is who he says he is. And that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. God's answer is always yes. Everything he has given you in his word, he has already given it to you. That's why all the promises of God in Christ are yes, and in Christ so be it unto you. 
Isn't that good news? There's no gray area with God. There's no confusion there. If you're sick in your body today, God's will is that you be healed. So much so that Jesus already paid for it. If you're in financial lack, I've got good news for you. You don't even have to pray to know the will of God. It's all over the book. He does not want lack anywhere in your life. Right? He does not want your past to dictate your present or future. He has a plan for you. And again, I just want to mention, we're talking about rest Joshua chapter 24 and verse 13, as we went last week, we looked at Deuteronomy and then we looked at Joshua. God said this, and I have given you a land for which you did not labor. This is a picture of rest. This is a picture of God has given you healing, which you didn't have to work for. He's given you peace. He's given you joy. He's given you deliverance and restoration. All of these things that you didn't have to. You don't have to know how a kidney works to get a new one. Right? You don't have to know a ton of stuff about finances to have the God of heaven bless you financially and move you from lack into even and then into abundance. Right? You don't have to know how he's going to bless the work of your hands. Right, But you just know that he says he does. I've given you a land for which you did not labor, cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them, and of vineyards and olive yards which you did not plant, you eat. That was for the children of Israel. God gave them something that they did not have to labor for. Right? You don't have to labor for this. Don't put the weight of what you need on you. It's all on the word. Jesus, it's, this is all about Jesus. It's not about us. And Satan can't stop it if you'll just believe it, right? This is a picture of a place of rest. What am I saying? We must make a decision that I will rest in the finished work of Christ. It's already done. Your future is already laid out. Your victory is already won. Even though it might not feel like it today, it might not look like it today, don't worry about that. God watches over his word to perform it, and oh, how it pleases him to be able to perform it. He takes no pleasure in his children suffering pain and sickness and disease when he's already sent his son and paid for that, and he wants to perform that in your life, but he can't do that unless you believe it, right? Because the medium of exchange in the kingdom of God is faith. In the same way, the medium of exchange in the world system is money, right? And that's why we walk by faith and not by sight. Well, Hebrews chapter 4, let's jump over there. I want to go through this again. We've went through a couple verses. Um, I haven't been able to get real far um, in this passage, but we're going to get through everything I need to get through today. But we've laid a great foundation. This passage in Hebrews 4 is giving us a picture, uh, giving us a picture of rest. It's teaching us exactly how to rest. Do you know God commands us in the kingdom of God that we are never 
to worry about money or the needs of our life. Famines could come and go, but I'm never going to worry about what I'm going to eat, where I'm going to live. I mean, we need to know that, right? I don't have to worry about that. I'm actually commanded not to. Why? Because he is my provider. I'm actually here. I've been deployed into the earth for this season of my life to be a light in this world, to be an ambassador for Christ, to administer his kingdom, not only in my own life and in my life of my family, but on the earth. That's why I'm here, and he takes care of me. Same with you, right? So Hebrews chapter four, verse one, the children of Israel going into the promised land are a type of a New Testament believer going into their inheritance. Theirs was a physical land of Canaan. Ours is we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness, right, in Christ. It's all there. It's in the unseen realm, right? And we know from Hebrews that the unseen realm is what made the seen realm. Everything that we see God says, was made by something we don't, we can't see. What is that? His word, right? So everything is already in place for you to have a, a wonderful life. And you could sit here and say, yeah, but, but pastor, I've messed this up. Okay, that's okay. It doesn't say unless you've messed it up, but all you gotta do is repent, what does that word mean? It just means to change your mind, your will, and your purpose. To go from, you know what? I've just been living my life for myself. I've been first in my life, and I've just made mistakes and whatever. So I'm coming to your throne of grace today to receive what? Mercy, to find grace to help me in my time of need. And I'm changing my mind, my will, and my purpose today. I'm gonna start putting you first, see what happens in your life, right? The Lord will come in in such a way and start turning your life right side up because that's his will for your life. So Hebrews chapter four, verse one, it says, let us therefore fear. Now on the surface in the King James, that sounds weird because we're told never to fear. But this word fear is different Okay, it's a different Greek word. It literally means to be cautious. It's saying, let us therefore be cautious. Let us therefore be aware and be very diligent. Lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. So the word of God is saying, listen, be cautious be aware, be diligent, because I, God, have given you some incredible promises and you want to be cautious so that you are not able, so that you don't enter into the rest that I've provided for you. He's saying be cautious about this. When you see a promise, you grab hold of it, right? Don't, don't get in unbelief, which will keep you out. You'll see that in the context, See, we don't want to come short of it, right? You know, there's many 
that have went home to be with the Lord early because they came short of receiving their healing. Now, don't feel sorry for them. They wouldn't come back if, if they could, right? But, the, you know, there's nobody walking around heaven blaming God. There's a lot of people going, oh, oh, yeah, that makes sense, right? Because nobody is going to stand before the Lord and go, why didn't you come through for me, right? But people do that on the earth, don't they? It, if there's one thing that I am so grateful for is I've never been a person that blames other people. I don't know why it is, but with me, you know, I've done stupid things in my past, but I never got mad at God. Well, God, why, didn't you, why did you let me be raised like in this environment? And why? No, it was, it was always God's been good and I've been able to see through all of it how good he is. You know, before we go on here, I got a, I got a, this came up in worship and I didn't know what it was and now I do. You know, the first book written in the Bible was the book of Job. It was penned by Moses. And it's real interesting because it's probably the most misunderstood book in the Bible. You know, and, but yet there's a principle here. It's real simple and it's brutal to read. You feel like going, Job, what, what, what is your deal? Get these idiots out of your life. They are not your friends, right? And, and you know, Job, think about Job. He did not have a covenant with God. He had no covenant with God, right? He wasn't God's chosen person. He was just this guy that loved God and served God. And then he got all afraid. He's like, man, my kids aren't serving God. And, you know, he just got into fear. It opened the door. And in English, it's a little vague because at one point it seems like God's saying to Satan, hey, I see that you're considering my servant Job. It's the way it's written in English. It's not written that way in Hebrew. Or, or I'm sorry, let me say this correctly. In English, it, it seems like God is saying, hey, Satan, have you considered Job my servant? But in the Hebrew language, it says, oh, I see that you're considering my servant Job. At one point, it seems like God says, okay, here's Satan, because Satan's like, listen, if you let me have him, I'll, 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 he'll curse your name. And then it seems like God goes, well, okay, here, I'll let you have him. But that's not what it says in the Hebrew language. It, sa it says, behold, he's already in your hand. Right? And then the whole book is Job he just constantly is like, God, why is, are bad things happening to me, a righteous man? Right? And, and you know, God never answered that question to him. And every theologian, everyone, they say that's the question of Job. I think that's hilarious. Because God is Jehovah. He's the one who, he's the self-existent one who reveals himself. But he never answered that question, but this is what he did do. I mean, he came into Job's presence and with the lowest form of revelation, which is God used natural things to meet Job right where he was, he started dealing with them to get him in faith. And I mean, it wasn't pretty. At first you're going, wow, God, you're kind of being kind of hard on him. 
You know, the guy's got boils all over himself. He lost his family. He's in pain. He's hurting. And God's like, stand up like a man. You stand up when I'm in your presence. Stand up like a man. Hey, Job, let me ask you a question. Do you know how all the laws of the universe, how they affect and work with the laws of the, of the earth? Could you imagine? Job's like, uh, yeah, no. And he starts going through this stuff, and all of a sudden he goes, wow, God, I, I'm just going to put my hand over my mouth because I've spoken wrongly about you. And God never got down on him for speaking wrongly because Job didn't know. Satan was really invisible in the Old Testament. I mean, you hardly have anything about him in the Old Testament. Jesus brought it to the forefront where he said, hey, there's a thief, and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Job really believed that if he did right, God would bless him. If he, did, if he didn't do right, God would get him. Right? And God just is not like that. And really, the question of Job is so very clear. He's, basically, it's this. It's like, Job, listen. When you face things in your life that you don't understand, why has this happened to me? Why is this going on? Have you ever had a situation like that happen? I know as a pastor, I run into Christians all the time that are having situations happening in their life that they don't know why, right? And many times if you ask the Lord, he won't even tell you why unless it will help you. But this is the question of Job. Job, when you have things happen in your life that you can't put a finger on, you don't understand, are you still gonna believe that I am who I said I am? Are you still going to believe that I'm good, that I love you, and that I'm a God who acts and fixes and restores? You know, Job obviously got it right because within, literally, everything was returned to him double, and they figured the story of Job was probably nine months to a year. So in, in, God, he got in faith. He had to just, but see, that's you got to settle this. There are so many Christians that are, they come to church and they smile and they look good, but on the inside they're going, why did you let that happen to me and why this and why that? And I'm here to tell you today, God wants to lavish you with his love. He wants to meet you where you are. He wants, he wants to get you into a position where you will come to him when you're in toil, when you're overburdened, and let him give you rest for your souls. So this is why entering rest is so important. So let us therefore be cautious, be aware, be diligent, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us, verse 2, was the gospel preached as well as unto them the children of Israel. So the gospel is preached. If you come around here, you are going to hear the gospel of the kingdom. Like already we've said things that are too that just seem too good to be true. What 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 do you mean God he just never gets down on me? Yeah, never. 
You mean, you mean God will never, he never condemns me? Nope, he never will. He can't. According to the word of God, what would he condemn you with? Well, I just did this and I, time out. What does the word say? The word says in Romans chapter eight, right? It says it right there in verse three that he once and for all condemned all of your sin in the body of Jesus almost 2,000 years ago before you even committed it. Try to figure that out with our little finite living in time brain, right? There's nothing to condemn you with because he condemned all of your sin in, in, in the body of his son. You've been made worthy by the blood of Jesus. God wants you to know that. The gospel it, the, the word gospel, it's a message that just is too good to be true. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. The children of Israel, the gospel was preached to them. God would say over and over and over, listen, I have given you this land. I've promised it to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. It's your land. It's a good land. Now there are cities there that are mightier than you. There's, there's uh, people that are mightier than you, but don't worry about any of that. I have given you this land. So they preached the gospel, but it says, but the word preached did not profit them. Why did it not profit them? Because they did not mix, the, it, it was not mixed with faith in them that heard it. In other words, they heard what God said, but they chose to believe and speak what they saw. So 10 spies went into the promised land. Well, 12 went in. Two of them came back and said, okay, we're well able to take this. It's a great land. Let's go. The other 10 came back with 10 reasons why they could not have and possess what God already said he gave them. Why did they do that? Because for 40 years in the wilderness, they constantly spoke. Read the book. Read the Old Testament. It gets to be ridiculous after a while. It's like, God, what's wrong with these people? Right? Until you look in the mirror and go, well, you know, they're kind of a lot like you and I, right? <laughs> I mean, literally, we got to make sure. Because, And see, this is the thing. Our flesh will pull us and make us just, we just get laser focused on this is the way it is in the natural, and that's it. And that's why the, the word of God says, whose report are you going to believe? It, isn't it wonderful when you get a doctor's report that's good? That's wonderful. But listen, don't, don't rely on that. You already, if, you, if you're right now, if, if you have a bad report from a doctor, then rejoice in the fact that the great physician has given you a good report. Hey, I've got good news for you, Tony. My son already bore that, so you don't have to right? So that, this is what this is talking about. It didn't profit them because they walked around in the promised land and they used their mixer, which is their mouth, and they would mix it with what they saw, how they saw themselves, how they saw how they couldn't have this land, all of these things, instead of had they walked around, Joshua and Caleb walked around saying, man, we're going to have this land. Caleb walked around, Josh, I'm telling you, when we go in there, that mountain that has the fiercest tribe in it, that's mine. I'm building a house. Or actually, he probably saying, that house, that king of that tribe, 
built, man, I'm telling you, that's a nice house. That's going to be my house. Right? Those vineyards, well, they're, they're going to be ours. We're not going to have to dig them. Those cities, they're going to be ours. That's the difference. Faith always will, always has and always will come by hearing God's word. It's the only way it comes. It doesn't come by hearing elevation worship unless elevation worship has the word in the song. Right? Be careful what you sing. Be careful what you hear. Right? That's why you want to be very careful with listening to secular music. Because the words are powerful. And you don't, you don't want... See, have you noticed how you remember songs? I stopped listening to secular music when I was, well, really 17 years old. I moved to Southern California. I found out, oh, they got Christian music. And it's not like this crazy Christian music that they had in Illinois that I would never listen to, Right? And so I'm like, wow, that's great. But you know, I worked out in gyms. I went to restaurants. I can still, when I hear a song from the 70s, 80s, I, I know all the words. Why is that? Because there's something about music. It opens your spirit. And I'm telling you, you know, you don't want the dog dying, your wife leaving you, the car breaking down. You know, I mean, even though it sounds really cool. Some of this stuff, sometimes you listen to it. You're like, listening. you're, see, there's a spirit behind these things. And when you get spiritually sensitive, you're like, ooh. I'll tell Jeanette, I'm like, listen, do you hear that sound of that song? That has death in it. It's death. And then you start listening to the lyrics, and you're like, man, I need to pray for that person. Because that guy who, or that lady who wrote that song is messed up. Right? So you got to be careful with these things. The word of God will change your life positively. You mix God's word with faith by speaking it. And then you act on your faith and you'll get the results. It's that simple. You must mix faith with the gospel of grace to profit from it. You're going to have to speak. The word says if you had faith as the grain of a mustard seed, you would say. You would say to this mountain if you had faith. You won't say if you don't have faith. So let your mouth help you. If you're speaking a bunch of nonsense, don't beat yourself up. Just go start hearing the word so that you could start speaking right. You cannot question God's word and enter into his rest. Why? Because you're mixing his word with the wrong thing. You gotta mix his word with your mouth. It's got to be coming out of your mouth. You can't, you can't literally hear his word and speak your circumstances and be in faith. You might think you're in faith because you could quote a scripture, but you're not in faith, right? I mean, this is, I, the importance of this, I can't even put into words. I love you guys so much, and we get all this together. But it's time for some acceleration in our lives. There's been so many believers that have been so stuck for so long and God wants to accelerate you. Chapter, chapter four of Hebrews, verse three, the first half of this verse is where we ended last week. For we which have believed do enter into rest. 
And for time's sake, I'm not going to go through the rest of these verses. I want to kind of skip. For we which have believed do enter into rest. I can judge how I'm believing by how at rest I am. If I'm still trying to figure it all out, I am not believing. Right? Many Christians have a plan B. Well, just in case this faith, just in case this God faith thing doesn't work out, I gotta have a plan B. No, no, he needs to be your everything. Right? The highest level of faith is expressed in rest. This is a place where you are fully persuaded that what God said he provided for you is the absolute truth. It's so true that it's already done and that he will bring it to pass. Right? Let me say that again. This is a place, this place of rest is a place where you are so fully persuaded that what God has provided for me is already done and he will bring it to pass. That's the place. That, that's where all things are possible. Whatever you're doing, listen, don't limit yourself to what the way the world does it. Right? If God puts it on your heart to be involved in this kind of a business, let God teach you how to profit and lead you in the way that you should go. Right? Because there's no limit. And there's no limit to how much you could accomplish while you're at rest. While he's first. It's amazing. So let's jump down now to verse 6. We finally made it to verse 6. Let's get into this a little bit. It says, Seeing therefore it remains that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached, that would have been the children of Israel, entered not in because of unbelief. Do you know a whole generation did not enter into the promised land? They died in the wilderness because of this thing that the Bible is calling unbelief. This word unbelief in the Greek language literally means an unpersuadableness. God, you can't persuade me to believe you. This word also means a rebellious disobedience. Not just disobedience, rebellious. God, I know what you said, I just don't believe it. Now, as you're listening, it literally means faithlessness. Now, as you're listening to that, you're thinking, okay, well, that's not me. Because, man, I would never just say rebellious disobedience. No, you might not say it with your mouth, but you'll say it with your life. Does that make, does that make sense? How can I get away from that kind of behavior? Start mixing with your mouth, the word of God, and it'll get so in abundance in your life that it'll start affecting your behavior. The word does this. The word is what will do this, right? I'm telling you, wherever you are in life, 
if you're stuck and you're like, I just never hear the voice of God, I don't understand why he's not helping me, right? Realize this, the Bible says he's chomping at the bit. He's already helped you and he's chomping at the bit to perform it. So there's something on your end that's causing you to be stuck and I'll guarantee you it'll go right back to rebellious disobedience, unpersuadableness, right? It took me a long time to trust God because of the way I grew up, right? I didn't trust anybody. But because of that, I'm like, if there's one thing I don't do is trust people, because everybody's let me down. Well, you better, you better, that's okay, but you better switch and go, wait a minute, time out. I put all my trust in him, so therefore I could open myself to people because they can't hurt me. Because I put all my trust in the Lord. So I'm just gonna love people. Do you know when you walk in love, sometimes people will think, man, are you really gullible? I've been, I've been in places where literally people are like right in my presence with other people, ministers kind of making fun of this message that I preach. And I'll, and, I'll, and I'll have the person I'm with or whatever go, when we leave, go, did, did you not hear what that guy said to you? Right? And I've learned how to keep my flesh under. Old Tony, the solution is grab the back of their head, beat it into a wall four times, and just walk away. Right? But you don't do that as a Christian. And that's not a good way to live because there's always somebody bigger and badder. Right? But no, new, new love of God shed abroad, you just are like, it's okay. It's okay, they just need more information. If somebody doesn't like me, they just need more information. Right? Right? I mean, that's, it's, it's just like you're gullible. It's just, you're not really gullible. You're super sensitive. You see it all. And what, what happens when you get hit a little bit, you just pray for them. Because you know where all of that stuff comes from, right? Have you ever been mad at somebody and it wasn't, you weren't kind of unhappy in your own self? You're, there's always a root there, right? Domineering husband, controlling husband, insecure domineering wife let's really talk about it domineering wife right but you know you can't have a Jezebel without an Ahab can you say that in church yeah yeah but but what's all of it why why is this woman acting like this well okay well what kind of environment is she in how did she grow up I'll guarantee you the enemy is working right I mean, I'm still amazed at how much I have studied on marriage and I still do stupid things. I'm so grateful I have a wife that in our marriage, it's unlimited grace, right? You better say amen, because so, everybody's looking at you. Yeah, that's it. Okay, we better move on, right? No, aren't you glad that the love of God constrains you. I mean, my flesh, because I, was, I felt worthless, all the inner turmoil, 
I was on the verge of rage because of the way I grew up. I mean, on, now you can't get me there because there's something much greater than my flesh in me. My spirit man, I've, I, I'm, I'm learning how to grow my spirit. I understand the love of God. I can feel, there's been times I could feel the love of God just grab me. And I'm sitting there going, wow, I'm not even working to stay under control here. I'm just under control. Thank you. That's what God wants for you. Give everybody a break if they're acting in their flesh because all of our flesh is crazy. Right? So seeing there it remains, verse 6, I better get there. I'm meddling. I'm starting to meddle about myself now. We need to just go on, right? Seeing therefore it remains that some must enter therein, but they to whom it was first preached, talking about the children of Israel, entered not in because of unbelief. So in other words, my belief determines if I am, am going to enter into the rest of God or if I'm not. My belief is going to. Now remember, where does your belief come from? It comes from what you're hearing. So you got to be careful what you're hearing. Verse 9, jump over to verse 9. Verse 9 and 10, it says, There remains therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. In other words, when you enter the rest of God, you enter it, and now that's a place where you cease from your own works. Now all your behavior and all your action and all your works is literally, you're just working out what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. You're not doing your own thing anymore, and that causes you to be at rest. Because everything you think you want to do in your flesh is going to be hard. Everything you do by the grace of God is a rest. It's a rest. When I see on the inside of me what my assignment is on this earth, it's so far beyond who I am that it causes me to rest. Because I'm like, oh, I, I'm starting to get it. You created me to walk in you and with you, not alone. We're not made to be alone. For he that has entered into his rest, he has also ceased from his own works as God did from his. When did God cease from his works? On the seventh day. Why did he, why did he rest? He didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he was finished. And when you know that it's finished, with what he did for you is finished, then you'll rest. That battle you're in right now, it's already finished. So just rest. Rest in him. Verse 11, so now because of that, it's saying, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. That's interesting. In the English language, it's kind of limited, but in the Greek language, this word means to make an effort to diligently study. In other words, how does a Christian labor? They diligently study the word. What does that mean? I meditate in it day and night. 
when it's convenient, when it's not convenient. To be honest with you, when it's not convenient is when you really need to be speaking the word of God. You should have confessions for everything that you're believing God for, for everything that you're facing. You go to the word of God and you find what it says and then you speak that. Let us labor, let us make an effort to diligently study, therefore to enter into that rest. If we don't do that, if we don't diligently study, if we don't meditate in his word day and night, look at what happens to us. Lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. What? Oh, yeah. Spirit-filled, tongue-talker, New Testament believer will do the same thing as not born again, not spirit-filled, Israeli, Jew in the Old Testament if we don't meditate in the word. Isn't that amazing? Why, why would we look just like them? We're not like them. Oh, I know we're not like them, but our flesh is still like them. See, one of the things that I get so excited about when Jesus comes back for me, I am so excited to get rid of the last stain of Adam that I still have. I have no stain of his in my spirit. I'm brand new, but I, I don't have this glorified body yet. I still have that nature in it. That, that, I still have that stain of spiritual death. I'm going to be so glad when I'm rid of that, right? But until then, the word of God can keep me in check keep, or keep my flesh in check. Let us labor. Verse 12, look at this. Or I'm sorry, go back to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Because he's talking about the same thing. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. And now it's going to add something to it in departing from the living God. When you are unpersuadable, when you're in a rebellious disobedience, I don't care what the word says, I'm living my life this way, right? If you are like that, this is what you're doing. If Jeanette is God, you're departing. You're literally moving in this direction. Who, who, we have a great picture of who did that. The minute Adam and Eve spiritually died, what did they do? They departed. They were hiding from God. Man, I'm telling you, Satan will have you running from God when you should be running to him. Right? Verse 19 of chapter 3. So we see that they could not enter in because of this unbelief, this unpersuadableness, this rebellious disobedience. So if fear, which is expressed in doubt, fear many times is expressed in a questioning, if fear is present, then unbelief will manifest. So that's why Satan always... Have you noticed how the whole world system is designed to get you into fear? Why? Because Satan does not want anybody to believe God. That's why. Meditating in the word of God is the one thing that will drive out fear. 
you have to meditate in the word of God. You know where it says perfect love casts out fear? Well, you know how perfect love does that, right? Perfect love's got to be coming out of your mouth. It's in your heart, but you got to have it coming out of your mouth if it's going to cast out fear. Meditating in God's word will drive out meditation. So now, again, I'm going to give you that biblical definition that I gave you guys of biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is a God-given process that produces, praise God, you got, you're awesome, Zach, that produces a spiritual experience that what? Which causes a permanent change in your thinking. The word does that. In other words, meditating in God's word will give you the mental breakthrough that you need to be able to see and understand and know some things. God wants you to think breakthrough. Amen. Breakthrough thinking. Because that's what's going to cause you to act. Meditation. See, what happens is I meditate in the word of God until the word on the inside of me grows and eclipses the circumstances that I'm facing on the outside. That's the way it's designed. That's why, why, why could David run at a nine foot six giant killer with no fear? I mean, just read the Psalms. My meditation of him will be sweet. Now, some of those Psalms, you know, David started off kind of messed up, but that he'd always finish strong, right? How could Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go into a fiery furnace without any fear? They knew something, right? They knew something. They were meditating in Scripture, right? That the Lord's with them, that the fire will not even kindle upon them. They knew this. See, I meditate in God's word until God's word on the inside of me grows and eclipses what I'm facing on the outside. Then the peace of God will now rule in my heart and I will enter into rest. It's exactly how it works. Let me say that again. I meditate in the word of God until the, what God said grows and eclipses what I'm facing on the outside. It eclipses it. I know my body could be hurting, I could be told I've got to die, but the word of God grows in me to where I'm like, wow, by his stripes, I am healed. And it eclipses it. When that happens, and not before, then the peace of God begins to rule in my heart and my mind, and now I'm able to enter into rest right? Well, that's such truth. Man, so true. When you enter into God's rest, that's when he's able to perform things in your life because you have now let it go finally. Some people think they've let it go when they haven't let it go. You see, people think that I just got to suck it up and I just got to let it go. That's not how it works. You don't let it go on your own strength. You need literally the revelation knowledge of God's word to grow in you to the point where it's bigger than what you're facing 
So the peace of God all of a sudden begin. It's all, the peace of God's always there, but now it's being able to rule in your heart. This is exactly how it works. It'll start ruling in your heart. You know when the peace of God rules in your heart? You are not stressed anymore. And when you are in that position, now God is able to perform his word because you won't keep grabbing it back. Every time a thought comes, every time a pain comes, every time you see evidence that it's contrary to the word of God, you in peace. I mean, have you ever been at peace? It's so easy to be thankful. It's so easy to worship God, right? What we're dealing with right now, guys, and the reason why I keep preaching this is there's so many believers that have calloused themselves for so long, they don't even, they, they have to relearn how to be soft and sensitive to the Lord. Because they're just living in their own, I'm gonna do this and I'm not gonna do this. I don't care, Tony, that you say that I'm to seek first the kingdom. No, I live my life and God is my peripheral. I, I come to church on Sunday. I come to, you know, I, I might read my Bible once in a while. But I, I just, you know, live this way. But this is what happens to that callous individual. They get up every morning and they, man, they read their little Bible verse or they read their little chapter, and then they go to work, and they're bitter all day, and they speak death all day, and they think death all day, and they wonder why God's not moving. And it's because they have their life. God, why won't you show me what to do? I, I gotta let you, I gotta get you to let go of this. Guys, I know this, because that was me. I didn't even know that. I was hanging on to everything. I wasn't trusting God for anything. And I thought, and I could, I could teach this stuff. Now, I use that term loosely. I don't think there was very much taught there because I wasn't free. But I'm telling you, it's the only way to live. Let the word do it. The word coming out of your heart through the vehicle of your mouth will literally cause the word to get so big in you that you'll finally just go, oh, I'm at peace. And then you'll realize, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize, I've never done this before, but I've entered rest. Do you know how many believers have never entered rest? They've never done it. They've never, they've never experienced, it's not a physical experience, it's a spiritual experience. And it's in this place that you are absolutely fully persuaded that what God said he gave you is yours. And you don't even care. I don't have to see a way out. I don't care what anybody else says. You hide and watch. God's going to do this. That's, that's the place. And as I'm even saying that, I, I'm looking at a bunch of people that love God with all their heart. I know that's where you are. It's so awesome. Look at what God said to Joshua. You know, it's 1015. I'm going to go really quick on this. God said this to Joshua. You know what, actually? Well, let me just say this in relation to meditation. You meditate on God's word. Why? So that the word of God that you're meditating in will bring you to a place where now you start operating out of what you believe in your heart 
instead of what you're seeing in the natural realm. Right? So that's why God told Joshua in Joshua 1.8. He says, Josh, listen, this book of the law, for us, the, the word of God shall not depart out of your mouth, but you'll meditate in it day and night. Why? That you may observe to do, or Josh, that you may observe yourself doing all that is written therein. For then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. Psalm 1-1 through 1-3 says, listen, here's another aspect of entering into his rest. Blessed is the man that what? That does not walk in the counsel, the advice, and the plan of what? The ungodly. Do you know there's some ungodly people that, that, that are living ungodly that are Christians? So you got to be careful. If a person is not full of the word, I'm not saying flawless. I'm talking about somebody who's walking, doing everything they can to put God first in their life. That's the person, if you want to be blessed, you could be around those people, but those people that are just living ungodly, listen, I'll be around them, I'll encourage them, but I do not want to hear their advice or their plan because they're not being led by the Spirit of God. Nor stand in the way, in the course of life, in the conversation of sinners. So if, if there's somebody in my life that they have a sinful or unrighteous behavior as predominant in their life. I'm not talking about somebody that messes up and you know gets angry once in a while or whatever. That's just being human. I'm talking about somebody who is not full of the word, who's living a life, and they're missing the mark. What's the mark? It's God. I am not going to listen to their conversation, and I'm not going to walk through their course of life with them, because if I do, it's impossible for me to be blessed. Or sit in the seat of the scornful. Now I'd love to tell you, the world is full of scornful people. If you don't believe me, go to lunch today and, and just eavesdrop on everybody. <laughs> Everybody's talking about everybody. The scornful, right? What is a scornful? This Hebrew word means one who teaches others about others, right? Let me tell you about that Pastor Tony. You know, let me just tell you about him. This and that. Run. Right? Learn. If you want to get away from this, this is... Because see, how easy is it for you and I to be scornful? Do you know how easy? Do you want to know how easy you can start telling others about others? All you got to do is nothing. Because your flesh wants to tell others about others. So learn this statement that Keith Moore taught me at Rama years ago. I have no opinion about that. That'll, that'll save you more. You're sitting there talking. Your flesh wants to join in. And you grab your flesh and say no. And you just say, you know what? I just don't have any opinion about that. You know what you'll hear most of the time? You'll help your brothers or sisters. They'll be like, yeah, you know what? We shouldn't be talking about this anyway. And you don't judge them. You don't come off all righteous. Because I'm telling you, we're all gossipers if it wasn't for the word of God, if it wasn't for the spirit of God. Are you, are you right? Can, can we be honest? You know some of the worst scoffers in churches? You know some of the worst? 
they have this title. It's called pastor. I'm serious. If I go down to Rama, you know what I, you know, I love it. Do you know what, you know what I always hear when I go down there? Pastor Hagen, some of the guys, some of the minister friends of mine, they'll come up and go, okay, tell me all these things about your awesome people. Right? Because I talk about that all the time. You know why I do? It keeps me in check. So we got to get over this. We can't sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the word of God and the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates day and night. What does that create? It's a spiritual, it's a spiritual experience that ultimately results in a permanent change of your thinking. He meditates in his word, in the word of God day and night. And he will be like a tree planted by rivers of water, right? His leaf won't wither. He'll yield all of his fruit in a season. And everything he does will be brought to maturity. He'll have success. He'll prosper. All of these things. This is what we're talking about. Why? Because Hebrews 10, verse 23, let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful who promised. So real quickly, I want to look at an example of a man. Hallelujah. Gosh, if I get into this. How many verses is this? Hmm. Okay, I've only got 15 pages left. We'll go really fast. No, I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. So let's look at an example of a real-life example. The second miracle in Jesus' life, it's only in the Gospel of John. You could turn to John chapter 6. Or, I'm sorry, John chapter 4, verse 46. We're going to talk about the miracle of the nobleman's son being healed. So here's this guy, real quick. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. So this second miracle took place around the area where the first miracle took place. And there was a certain nobleman. When you say this, when you see a certain nobleman, that means it was, this is not a parable. There was an actual nobleman. What's a nobleman? This is a guy, he was a royal officer, right? He was a man of influence and great wealth. There was a certain nobleman, they would have known who he was, whose son was sick at Capernaum. Capernaum is about 15, between 15 and 20 miles from Cana in Galilee. Now, 15 to 20 miles, that's not a big deal for us because we've got cars. But that would have been an overnight journey. So this nobleman, he came, he had, his son is sick in Capernaum, but he had to hear something about Jesus being a healer because he himself, he didn't even send his servants because he's like, I got to get him to come to my house, right? So this is what's going on. When he, when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought or requested him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So number one, we see the man's humility. I mean, he's sitting here going, I've heard that there's this Jesus guy who's healing people. My son is about to die. 
I'm willing to literally do an overnight journey to get to him, even though my son might die while I'm gone. Right? This, do you see the man's dilemma here? But the man came to Jesus. He's a leader. He's wealthy. And, and what does he do? Just like us. Hey, Jesus, I, I want you to heal my son, and, and I even want you to heal him the way I want you to heal him. I want you, you personally come to my house and heal him. He's even requesting the way Jesus heal him. And you never, ever tell God how he's going to do his thing. Right? The nobleman had obviously heard Jesus was a healer. But he had to learn that he was his son's healer. It wasn't enough for him to know Jesus was a healer. Jesus had to get him to the place where he's like, listen, I'll heal your son. Right? I'll move in your life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to fix that problem in your life. That's right, where all of us are. Verse 48, then said Jesus unto him, could you imagine? He says this, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Man, that's like a slap in the face. Why would Jesus say that? Jesus was trying to lead the man from natural human faith, sense knowledge faith that is based on what you feel, what you see, or what you hear. He's trying to lead him away from that because the man can't receive anything in that place. He's trying to lead him away from that to simple faith in God's word which is exactly what God's trying to do to all of his children right now, right? Faith isn't faith until it moves ahead with no physical proof. God's word, in other words, is enough. See, what do we do? We check our bodies to see if we're healed, right? But healing doesn't flow from the body so don't check your body. Where does healing flow from? The word of God. So check the word. If you want to know if you're healed today, check this. And when you get light that, wow, he already bore this. That means I don't have to bear this. Get out of my body symptoms, right? Gives God something to perform. We walk by faith. We don't walk by sight. Verse 49 the nobleman said unto him, Sir, even after, even after Jesus kind of stung him, the, the guy's still there. He's like, Sir, come down or my child will die. If you don't come to my house and lay hands on him and heal him, he's going to die. See, the man is still not in faith. The nobleman, what did he need? He had to receive knowledge of God's word to change his thinking so that he could yield to Jesus' words and receive from him. He needed, he needed knowledge. Jesus said unto him, Jesus looked at him and said, go your way, your son lives. In the same way Jesus is saying to you, I bore your sickness and I carried your pain, so go your way, you're healed. Right? It says, and the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, 
and went his way. The Amplified Version says this, Jesus answered him and said, go in peace, your son will live. And the man put his trust in what Jesus said and started home. Could you imagine an overnight journey, 15 to 20 miles? I wonder if Satan was all over his mind going, your son's probably dead. You, let, you probably didn't even get to say goodbye to him. You don't feel anything, do you? Right? Could you imagine? But this man chose to believe and faith grabbed him and kept him. The man had personal revelation of God's word for his life and he acted upon that and he received the result. The man had no physical proof that his son was healed. He only had the word of Jesus. What do we have today? We have the word. Thank God we have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us to strengthen us, to help us, right? He had to go 15 to 20 miles with the enemy working on him. It was the man's faith in Jesus' word that brought the healing to pass for his son. You can speak words of faith that agree with God's word and change anything. Your body, your marriage, your home, your circumstances. The nobleman received by simple faith without any sight or without any signs. Verse 51 and as, and, and as he was not, uh, or was not going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, your son lives. So as he's, now, as he's now going down, his servants come out and meet him. Could you imagine? All of a sudden, he sees his servants running. Satan's still on his, on his shoulder going, oh my gosh, they're coming to tell you he's dead. You know that's the way the enemy works. But they come and they tell him and said, wow, your son lives. See, this miracle speaks of our time because it shows us we don't need the physical presence of Jesus to receive healing from him. I love this quote by Lillian B. Yeoman. Boy, I'm going long today. Man, I apologize I'm going so long. It's probably because it's taken me a while to get it out. But it's worth it. It'll help you. Lillian B. Yeoman said this, real faith thrives on tests and trials and can withstand the teeth of any opposition for any length of time. So verse 52, let's finish this. Then inquired he of them the hour that he began to amend. In other words, did you get that? The healing miracle was gradual. He began to amend. He's like, hey, when did my son start getting better? And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives, and he himself believed and his whole house. Wow. You gotta, you gotta realize that instantaneous and gradual healings and answers are both. It's, it's all good. Don't, don't get caught up in time. Right? But you count the death blow struck the moment you believe. And that's the believer's walk of faith. Amen.